Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness, your provision. Lord, we thank you for using us. We thank you for each testimony that was given tonight. And Lord, we thank you most of all for just caring about us, loving us, giving us a Bible, giving us the privilege of serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz, Peter, um, this seems to become more of a series than, uh, than at, at first intended, I guess, but I, I just keep as a, asking the Lord what to preach on. Uh, keep coming to mind uh, these series of progressions in the Scripture. I have at least one more that I would like for us to cover. But uh, Second Peter and chapter 1, uh, we looked at uh, uh, the progression of faith, Romans chapter 5. Uh, the progression of repentance in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And tonight is going to be a little different. It's not going to be the progression of, but the progression from knowledge. And that is 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we'll just start in verse... I'll let you start in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these... He might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, we start the progression, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have this progression located in the middle of the introduction to uh, the letter, the, the epistle of Second Peter. And the first thing I want us to do is, is we say, uh, I'm saying a progression from knowledge, because the basis of this progression is faith. Uh, if you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have anything to add to. You've got to have faith first. But the faith that the Bible talks about is, is not this uh, senseless, unknowing, just uh, kind of fairy godmother hope that somehow God is going to make things better. It is a faith that is based on knowledge. Look what it says here. 
We obtain in uh, the like precious faith. How do we obtain that faith? Verse 1, through the righteousness of God. It is God that has made it possible. And it says in the next verse, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know what? I'm glad today that I can say the faith that is contained in this book is a reasonable faith. Amen? It is a Savior who has given His life for us. You know, men, I mean, how many different religions are there in the world today? Uh, the last time I heard anybody give a figure is about 20 years ago, and he claimed there were 5,500 different religions active in the world at that time. Uh, I would dare say we've probably added a few. Uh, I don't think Presbyterianism had been invented yet. That's where you get together on the internet and play Elvis Presley records. And uh, how in the world anybody thinks they're going to go to heaven by doing that, I'm not quite sure. But uh, uh, they claim to be a religion. Uh, and, of course, the center of all false religion is a false god, a human elevated to uh, divinity. And that was the most ridiculous example I could come up with of a new religion. So we're, we're, you know, people are all the time working on things. But the faith that's in the Bible is based on knowledge. It's based on the knowledge of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That knowledge has given us promises. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We're given these exceeding great and precious promises that we can actually be partakers. God loans us, if we want to look at it that way, He seals us as the words in the book of Ephesians with the Holy Spirit of God. This keeps us. That's why we can't lose our salvation. Amen? That's why it is eternal. And as God gives us this, He wants us to escape the corruption that is in the world, but He wants us to take this faith that He has given to us, and He wants us to do something with it. It's not just a stagnant, simple thing. It is something that we can build upon. It says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. How many of you remember a fellow, now I'm going to forget his name, wrote the children's book of virtues. Bob something, Robert something or other. Bennett, that was it. Robert Bennett. And he published this book, children's book of virtues. It was a wonderful thing. And then probably, I think it was about 18 months, 24 months later, uh, they report on him going to Vegas and sitting in the high roller room and losing $8 million in, in one weekend gambling thing. Now, that is really virtue, is it not? Yeah, I heard some snickers and see some laughs. And yeah, you see, virtue is... A powerful purity. We've used this illustration many times. Jesus 
walking through the cloud to Jairus' daughter. The woman with the issue of blood, she was unclean. She reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed. What did Jesus say? He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. How do I add virtue? I can't heal people. Well, just a minute. God doesn't want us to do things that we cannot do. He did not tell us to go around and heal people, but he did tell us that our life ought to be an influence. Uh, I remember uh, I worked for the Board of Elections a couple days a year, helped count the votes and, and things like that. And uh, for several years, I worked at a little school right here in Astoria. And uh, one of the um, coordinators, uh, my wife will remember her, she, she wanted the kids to come and sing during the elections, but she just, um, how, how do you say it, dirty mouth woman. Uh, all the time cursing. And I remember one time just kindly going, you know, please, please don't do that. Oh, yeah, you're a preacher. I'm sorry. And now, anytime she sees me, we talk, even on the streets, something will come out. It just does. And, oh, I'm sorry, preacher. You know what? That That's about as good as we're going to do with this thing called virtue. How many of you remember Dave Rodriguez when he was a member here? Do you remember the story about the print shop where he worked? They had dirty pictures all over the place. And he went to the boss and he said, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in that. And, and so they put all the dirty pictures in one cabinet. And... Uh, the boss came out and he was mad about something and he said, you didn't print this right. Go get the proof. And Dave looked at him and said, I'm not going to get the proof. Oh, and he just got mad. He said, why aren't you going to do it? He said, it's in the dirty cabinet. I'm not going in there. If you want the proof, you go bring it and we'll straighten it all out. And the boss blew his top. I mean, he's screaming and he cleaned all the dirty pictures out of the whole shop and said, nobody's bringing them in ever again. We're not going to go through all of this. Virtue. It's an influence that changes the way other people behave. You know, it's something that you can't go around and manufacture. It's something you've got to ask God to put into your life. You know how you get it? By living daily the way God wants you to live. By establishing a reputation that I don't listen to the stories in the lunchroom. That I don't uh, participate in these things. And people will take notice. You know, really, it is something that happens naturally and normally if we are diligent in our love for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's got to be something that you work at to make your relationship with God noticeable to other people. Now, there are, there are some guys that do this artificially. 
I'm a Christian, I'm going to tell you the way things are ought to be. No, that, that attitude is not found in the Scriptures. It is simply walking and serving God, doing what is right, and guess what? People are going to notice. And that fact that your Christianity is real, that it is daily, it's not something you just put on for church, is going to influence people around you. It'll influence family members. It'll influence anybody you happen to be with. And this is the first thing. If your relationship with Jesus Christ does not affect every area of your life, then we need to reevaluate our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our faith. Our faith determines everything we do. Amen? Because whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. That's what the Bible tells us. And as we make faithful decisions, as we add to this faith reality of living in front of other people, this thing called virtue cannot help but show up. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we give all diligence to live daily for God. Amen? But that's not where it stops. You see, we got to add to that virtue knowledge. Now, wait a minute. We already started with knowledge, did we not? But knowing enough to get saved is not a guarantee that you're going to know enough to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you glad it's a growing process? Aren't you glad? I'm glad I'm, uh, that I can stand before you. And um, I was adding it up. Uh, I started Bible college next month. Um, well, no, it'll be in the fall, right? In the fall of this year, I started Bible college 34 years ago, 32 years ago. So for the last. 31 and a half or so years of my life, I've been either in Bible college, studying the Bible, preparing for the ministry, or in the ministry, studying the Bible to teach it to people. Guess what? I haven't learned it all yet. And should the Lord give me another 30-some years, guess what? I'll say exactly the same thing. But I will tell you this, I believe I know a little bit more about the Bible today than I did as a 17-year-old freshman entering Bible college. You know what, I've added a little knowledge to my faith. God wants us to do that. But see, if you don't start with virtue, what does knowledge do all by itself? 1 Corinthians 13 Knowledge puffeth up, doesn't it? Have you ever met someone who is educated above their level of virtue? I mean, they had lots of knowledge. They knew everything. One of my favorite jokes, I love to tell it at Heartland, 
is our Bible colleges are the world's greatest repository of knowledge. You see, the students show up knowing everything. And when they leave, they understand that they know very little. So all of that knowledge had to go somewhere. If we could only find out where they left it, we could solve all the world's problems, right? Wrong. Uh, Not all that is called knowledge is real. And if you don't have virtue to temper the knowledge, the knowledge will destroy you. That's why God put it in this order. Amen? And you see, once I get the knowledge added to the virtue in the right thing, then I can start work on what is probably the single greatest missing element in churches today. And that's the word temperance. Now, Temperance was brought into great use in the English language uh, right about the turn of the last century as the Women's Temperance League and all these different groups came in trying to stop the use of alcohol in the United States. And in 1919, the Volstead Acts were signed. Uh, I believe it was the... 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States prohibiting the sale of intoxicating alcoholic beverage in the United States. I'll tell you what, if if that had been administered properly, it could have made a tremendous change. But you know, the problem was the American people wanted temperance for the drunks on the street, but they still wanted to sip their wine and feel good at home. And you know what? You can't have partial moderation. Yeah, it's... it's, You're either... The idea of temperance is the word moderation. It's able... To control. Uh, If you have problems with eating too much, don't go to buffets. If you have a problem with tobacco, don't go into the tobacco store, the cigar store. Uh, If you have a problem watching TV, why do you have cable? Um, I mean, and we can go on and on, but uh, the best illustration of temperance is when, uh, in the old days, the sword was uh, the weapon of choice. It was the uh, battlefield weapon, but uh, I think I've told this story here more than once, but I'll tell it again. And it was, I think it was 2006, we were able to take a trip out to Washington State and we stopped and visited a man and his whole life was armaments. And he handed me a sword from the Crimean War, the 1850s. It had a blade that was about four inches wide. And that, the, it was this long. And I'm sitting there, good. how in the world could somebody ride a horse? And he said, here, take it, put it in your hand. It was almost weightless in my hand. 
It was perfectly balanced. It was unbelievable. The weight of the handle, the weight of the blade was all put together in such a way that you could do quite a bit of execution from a horseback with that sword in one hand. I mean, it was built for the job uh, that it was used for. But if a blade is not properly tempered, if it's too brittle and you make contact with another hard or brittle surface, it'll shatter like glass. If it's not hard enough, you go to thrust into the enemy, and the sword blade bends over. Both of which could be very detrimental on the battlefield. Amen? Uh, What you want is a sword that will cut and not shatter, It's got to have the right amount of hardness. And you want a sword that will, a blade that will flex a little bit without bending. So here's how they do it. They heat the the metal up to it's glowing hot. And then they stick it in cold oil to cool it immediately. That makes it brittle. Then they heat it up. And they cool it in an oven. And they slowly turn down the temperature over a period of time. And in the process of doing that, it gives the blade flexibility and hardness to a point to where it will do what needs to be done. Uh, Does that sound a little bit like it might hurt if that happened in your life? That if you got heated up and then quenched and then got stuck in the oven and they just turned the thing down a degree every day for the next ten days or whatever it is, uh, that, that doesn't sound pleasant. Why, why doesn't it? Because what's the next one? Patience. How do you get patience? Tribulation. How do you add temperance? It's allowing God to put you in the furnace until He gets you the way He wants you. Uh, challenge you, if you have not picked up the Baptist Tribune there, I mean, <laughs> I will call it the Tribune until the day this old forgotten memory, uh, the Global Independent Baptist Times. Yeah, you need, to, you need to get that. It's all on offense, on people being offended, pastors being offended, churches being offended. I'll tell you what, there's some great articles you need to read those. You know what temperance is? Temperance is letting other people do stupid things and you don't get mad. That's tough, isn't it? But temperance is letting God be in control. You see, until I have virtue, knowledge is not going to do me any good. It's just going to puff me up and destroy me and anybody else around me. But if I have virtue and I add knowledge to that virtue, I'm going to have a greater ability to live an influential life in this world. Amen? To cause people to stop and think about decisions that they have made. And that knowledge is going to give me 
the ability to make a decision with my mind when everything in my life hurts. To say, wait a minute, I need to trust in God. But when God has taken me through that process to gain temperance, to realize that God is not punishing me just because He likes to hear people scream, that God is not some big meanie upstairs that's going to thump me for every time I step out of line, that God puts me through these difficult situations because He's teaching me something, Guess what? Then I can learn to wait on God. How many verses in the Bible? Wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord. Have patience after that you've done the will of God that you might receive the promise. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I mean, there are verses in the Bible. And it's interesting that once we get to this idea of patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect in entire Wanting nothing, then we get to godliness. Have you ever met somebody that behaved the way the Bible talks about God behaving? That's a pretty good definition of godliness, isn't it? God wants us to behave as if He We're controlling us. By the way, that was this morning's message. Amen? That's what the death of self is all about. Godliness doesn't get here. And see, it's interesting that the last two, brotherly kindness and charity, are at the very end of the list. And yet, this is where everybody wants to start. You know what? You can't truly be kind in the way that you should be until you get some godliness. Otherwise, what do we do? We be kind to the people that we like and unkind to the people that we don't. But God is kind to everybody now, isn't he? You see, there's a reason why these things are in order. This is a progression. Listen, if you don't know that you're saved, if you don't know how that you're saved, if you don't know what the Bible says about your salvation, you can't start anywhere. But you, once you get this issue settled with salvation and based upon the knowledge of God and what He's done for me and what He expects me to do and the fact that He's called each one of us, not just a preacher... He's called each one of us to glory and virtue. And he says that he wants us to start with our faith and add virtue. That's serious Christian living. Something that people can see. Then we can take knowledge. Because it won't puff us up. It'll help us live better for Christ. Then to that knowledge we can add temperance, knowing who God is and what God has to do to us to make us in His service. We'll go through the fires of hardening and the slow fires of flex that bring the flexibility. Oh, maybe you ought to bring this one up again. How many of you read that internet story about the 
egg, the carrot, and the coffee. Does anybody remember that one? That's a pretty cool one. It says, here's what happens. When you take an egg and put it in hot water, what happens? It becomes hard. Unbreakable. Now, you take a regular egg and drop it on the table, what do you get? A mess. Put it in hot water for 20 minutes and drop it on the table. Shell cracks and the egg bounces off the table and onto the floor, right? What happens to a carrot when you put it in hot water? Well, you can cook it to mush, can't you? It gets soft. But what happens when you put coffee in hot water? You get a delicious, refreshing beverage because the coffee changes the water. It's an illustration of temperance. Amen? And then we get to godliness. Godliness is something that we need to add to our patience. If we're complete, like James chapter 1 tells us, we ought to be behaving the way the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, walk worthy of the Lord unto unto pleasing Him. Amen? And then we can have brotherly kindness. We're not excusing other people's sins. But you know what? We're not out there in the street corner screaming in people's ears, you're going to hell either. Brotherly kindness does not excuse wrong. What what Solomon's saying? We went through the book of Proverbs. A brother is born for what? Adversity. That means when you're in trouble, your brother should be the one that you can call on to help you. That's why we call, we have a relationship in, in our church. We call brother and sister oftentimes, and, and uh, we, we have this relationship of brotherly kindness that we ought to be able to help one another. Amen? We ought to be able to rely on one another when we fall into difficulties. And, and you know, it's hard. It, you have to be careful Some people don't want help today. But if they're willing to receive it, we ought to be willing to give it. That's brotherly kindness. You see, if I can't be kind and helpful to people in the church, what kind of job am I going to do when I go out into the world? I'll tell you what kind of job it will do. It's exactly what most, quote-unquote, charitable organizations do today. They help people. And both the helper and the helpee end up in hell on the judgment day. I don't know that that's the kind of help that the Bible really intends us to give. Amen? I mean, I, I love missionary endeavors, and I'm glad for... All of the health care and good food and clean water things that happen all over the world. I don't want little kids drinking dirty water and dying of malaria and other diseases. But I'll tell you what. If we're going to take money and invest it in missions, I'd like to see a church planted over there. 
Because that's the greatest investment. You see, brotherly kindness, charity... Now, if you get one of those newfangled Bibles, they'll just take the word charity out and put love. But let me ask you a question. Is brotherly kindness love? Yeah. Is charity love? Well, yeah. So why are there different words in our Bible? Because the author wants to call our attention to different aspects of this thing called love. I need to have true love for my brothers and sisters in Christ in my local church. But you know, if I don't have all of these other things in place, when I love other people, you know what I'm going to do because of my sinful nature that's in my heart? I'm going to want to manipulate other people to help me out. It happens. But if I have godliness, guess what? There's no strings attached to God's love now, is there? Now, he does expect a proper response. If we love him, what are we going to do? Keep his commandments. Amen. But charity is simply love in action to the world in which we live. And if we can't love people in the church the way we ought to love people in the church, we're not going to love people in the world the right way. We don't want the world to just think we're a bunch of nice people in church. We want them to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the love of God is an offensive truth. God loves us in spite of our sins, not because of how good we are. You know, a lot of people get upset about that. But charity, the greatest love that can be directed to another person, is helping them have the knowledge of the Savior. Amen? Now, there, there is a progression I start with faith. My faith is based on knowledge. My faith is based on the words of God, the promises of God, on the power of God, all of these things. And to that faith, I'm supposed to add virtue. I'm supposed to live real so that people can see the difference and I can be an influence. But I have to have knowledge. I have to learn more and more about the Bible, as Paul said in, in the passage we looked at this morning. I'm pressing toward that mark. I haven't arrived. There's still more to learn. And once I get that knowledge, it's going to allow me to endure what God will have to put me through to give me temperance, strength, flexibility, hardness without being hard, flexibility without getting bent. As I live a temperate life, I'll have patience. I'll be able to put up with what God does in my life, temperance, and be able to put up with other people, patience. Amen? It works in and out. That will allow me to start working on godliness, dealing with people in a way that God would approve. Now my brotherly kindness has a purpose to it. It has boundaries. I am not just a slave of anybody who comes in 
I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A co-servant with others who walk along with us and we need to help each other because we have a world in which we live that needs to see the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, amen. And the Bible says that there's some results from this progress working in our life. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word barren has a specific meaning. It means unable to produce. Uh, you read in the Bible and it'll talk about Sarah was barren almost all of her life until she was 89 years old. She then conceived one child and his name was Isaac. You know, a lot of Christians get barren. They'll get saved. Maybe a little virtue. Maybe they'll skip virtue and try to go to knowledge. You know what happens? You become barren. can't produce anything more. Because you didn't do it in the order that it's in the Scripture. You didn't allow God to build these things in the way that they need to be built. And it says, nor unfruitful. Jesus talks about Christians who became unfruitful because they got entangled with things of the world. Because they did not develop the way the Bible says. It says... That if we will put these things in our life, we're not going to lose the ability to produce and we're not going to lose the fruit. John chapter 16, he says it's his will that will bring forth what? Fruit. He wants us to do this. He wants this to happen in our lives. First John 15. Abide in me as the vine, the branch abides in the vine. It says here, if we'll skip down to verse 10, it says, We, ye shall never fall. Now, that's an amazing promise in God's Word. There's that word never again, and God is using it. He doesn't say you shouldn't fall or you probably won't fall. He says you'll never fall if you'll stay in this progression. If you'll make these things in your life, you'll never fall. So when you see someone fall, guess what? There's a problem somewhere in these steps, in this progression in the Scripture. And it says, an entrance will be ministered unto you abundantly into the kingdom. I tell you, when I get to heaven, I pray they're not opening the trash gate and going, doo, doo, doo. you know what? The Bible says there's going to be some people that are saved, having even their garments spotted by the world. They're going to go into heaven with the smell of smoke. Those are scary things. It says here that if you'll do these things, you're going to have an abundant entrance. You know, I think God knows how to do things in an abundant way. But don't get the idea that he's going to say, thank you for serving the Lord. Oh, I hate that song. Because there is nothing you accomplished 
that God did not accomplish through you. That's why we'll cast our crowns at His feet. Because it's all going to be about Jesus and none about us. But if we'll get these things in our lives, we will have something to present to Him in that day. I couldn't imagine, I don't want to imagine, to stand around that throne empty-handed. Not to have something to give in worship of Him who's done so much for us. You know what? We, we need to get into this thing. I mean, write these words out. Put them on your refrigerator door. Uh, Some place that you go all the time. And remind yourself, hey, where am I? How is my virtue doing? Guess what? If my virtue is slipping, i got to go back and start over again. And let God work my way through. You know what? Say, but if I go back and start over again, what will I do with the things that I did? Well, let's um, let's understand something here. What is the greatest knowledge that I can have? It's the knowledge of God, Amen. And as I get that knowledge, what's it going to tell me about me? I'm nothing. So let's start over again. Let's give diligence to that virtue. And then, when God gives us knowledge and knowledge of His Word, we can do something positive with it. We can use that for a platform to learn temperance. And temperance for a platform to learn patience. And by the way, there's not a living soul that has enough patience. But you can't work on godliness until you've got patience. And by the way, we think that we have brotherly kindness and brother and charity. We think we really love each other and care about each other and we're doing things to be a blessing. Let me tell you something. Without godliness, it's not. It's just an exercise in futility. You've got to have the foundation to support the activity. But it says if these things are in your life and abound... You're not going to be barren or unfruitful. You're going to keep progressing in these things. That you're going to have that abundant entrance. That you're going to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you never fail. Never fall. You'll continue serving the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And we ask that during this time that you would help us to learn these words and their place in our lives. And Lord, that we'd be willing to just start all over again. That you may build these things in our lives, that we may bring glory to your name, that we may never fall. And Lord, when we get to heaven, we'll have something to give you in praise of your goodness. We ask you to work in Jesus' name. Before we finish that prayer, we'll take just a few moments.